0: Each week on this podcast, we replay the sermon from our Sunday morning service at Tressler Mennonite Church. We do this mostly so any of our members who may have missed the sermon can catch it later. And we know that some who missed the sermon do so because you work with our youngest children during the service time. We want to especially thank you. This particular sermon was from October thirtieth, two 2022, and the text was Hebrews Chapter 1, verses 5 through 14.
1: Well, as you, as you heard Andrew read the passage, we're talking about angels this morning, or at least somewhat of talking about angels. I have never seen one. I don't know if any of you have ever seen Angel. There's some reference in scripture to seeing angels without being aware of it. In Hebrews, we'll get there in due time. So I guess maybe maybe I've seen one and not known it. But I've never had any interaction with angels, like we'll hear about during Advent season when Gabriel appears to Mary with a message from God. It seems like when when these angels are sort of revealed in their in their fullness, they must be very intimidating. They often start out by saying, Oh, don't be afraid. So I, I assume that something about them must be rather frightening. But I haven't, I haven't experienced anything like this, and I haven't heard any of you talk about any kind of a story like this, and so I don't think angels have quite the same place in our mind as they might have for the people who were reading this letter originally, Because it seems from what we read in Scripture and what we know from some historical writings that the Jews during the time when the book of Hebrews was written were extremely interested in angels. Angels were God's representatives throughout different stories in the Old Testament, and so they commanded a certain level of respect or appreciation in that sense. We also know from some historical things, but we can see it in Stephen's sermon in Acts 7, that there was a belief that, Angels were part of the process by which God delivered the law to the Jewish people. So there was a lot of appreciation and respect for angels at that time. And it's in that context that the author of Hebrews starts sort of the bulk of his letter by saying, just a minute here, Jesus is greater than angels. You need to know that. But if you're like me at least in, in, in this particular aspect here, you're going to read this, and you're going to kind of shrug. I mean, it's pretty obvious. Jesus is greater than the angels. And so I'm not sure that, I'm not sure quite always how to handle this kind of a sermon. Often when I preach, I try to sort of use the, my sermon to present the lesson that I think the author was trying to make while also trying to teach about it. So if Paul is talking about salvation by grace, I want the main point of the message to be salvation by grace. And yet, if I spend my time and I say really trying to convince you that Jesus is greater than the angels, that might not be the best, most fruitful part of the time. So I'm going to focus on a different aspect, trying to keep that point in in mind, of course, but in our cultural situation, I don't know that you need me to convince you of that, but I want to show you how the author goes about making his point, the way he turns to scripture to sort of uh, affirm what he's trying to say and show that what he's saying is true. And then I also want to talk a little bit about what things might distract us. Perhaps, perhaps we don't have any questions about whether Jesus is greater than angels or not, but is there something in our minds and our lives that sort of begin to take his place, the place where he should be instead. So that's kind of where I'm going to go. But in, to get the whole context here, we're going to start with verse 4, which is actually from last week. He had started off with sort of a summary of some of his main points where he's getting about Jesus as the preeminence. And then he says, this shows that the Son is far greater than the angels, just as the name God gave him is greater than their names. And then he spends the next 10 verses trying to prove his point, to show that this is scriptural, this is truth. And so he says in verse 5, he says, for God never said to any angel what he said to Jesus, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Now, if you have a, Bible stu- a study Bible or a commentary or even just one of the more modern translations, you probably have a footnote. I'm going to be using almost exclusively text out of the New Living Translation, the Pew Bibles. Um, But in the the Pew Bible, there's a footnote, and it directs you to Psalm 2, verse 7. And Psalm 2, verse 7 says, The king proclaims the Lord's decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. So the author of Hebrews is trying to make his point, and he refers to the Old Testament in order to Uh, explain why he believes what he believes. But one of the things worth noting here is that the author of Hebrews did not, he did not himself give a footnote. He didn't even give a basic citation. He didn't say in Psalms or, or anything like that. He just quotes two pretty short lines, you are my son, today I have become your father. And it captures sort of the essence of his point, but if you, if you think about it and dwell on it, and then especially if you turn to Psalm 2 and you read it, you'll realize that he, he's using these two lines to get your mind thinking about that context. And then the context of the whole psalm, which, which is about, on one hand, it's about an earthly king. It's the idea that, that God sort of adopts the king of Israel, calling him son, giving him authority and place but there's also this aspect of which is looking forward. The line of David is going to carry someday a future king who is going to be a king in the whole sense that a king ought to be, because none of the Davidic line ever, ever lived it out like God intended. But there's this anticipation of somebody. And so in that whole context, the author of Hebrews is saying, and that's Jesus who has been chosen as son, And yet he says two lines to try to get us this whole point. And I was thinking, I was reminded of a conversation, I believe it was in the adult Sunday school class a number of years ago, in which somebody talked about how different uh, New Testament writers refer to the Old Testament and made a comparison to the way that sometimes groups of family members or friends will quote lines from a movie. So if you've been around certain people, they'll, they'll do just one little line from a movie and instantly the people in the know know the context, the scene, every situation. So if somebody says, I have a bad feeling about this, then some people are going to immediately have a whole bunch of context of what's going on and the imminent disaster that that person is anticipating Or other situations, you can have different circles of people, and they'll say, as you wish, and this brings into their minds an entire context. Three words, and instantly they know everything that's going on. But the point, I can't tell from your faces who got it and who didn't, but some of you that went a million miles over your head and some of you knew immediately which two or one series and which movie I was referring to, but that's a little bit how it is for the way some of the New Testament writers refer to Old Testament, especially here in the book of Hebrews. Two lines, and immediately the assumption is that the people reading are going to know not just where in the Old Testament, but the whole context. And unfortunately, just like sometimes when I'm sitting listening to my daughters talk about something from school and they'll do the same thing, and Short line of seemingly irrelevance, and suddenly they're laughing because they get it, and I don't. Sometimes I'm one of the people, when I'm reading Hebrews, I don't get it. I would not read, you are my son, today I've become your father, and immediately think of a messianic psalm, Psalm 2, the way this is pointing to Jesus, the way, I wouldn't get that. But fortunately, we have people who did, and they have written commentaries, they put footnotes in our Bibles, to direct us so we can read so part of this is, is sort of a reminder to me, I, I ought to know the Old Testament an awful lot better than I do. Part of this is gratitude, and part of this is just trying to say, take advantage of the resources you have. The author of Hebrews is thinking deep, and he is referring to stuff from there. So he's, back to his point, Jesus is greater than the angels because Jesus is the son and the angels are not sons. And so I'm going to go to verse 7 here to illustrate the point, partly because it rounds out his idea. Just as his first verse was saying that Jesus was the son, now he's emphasizing who the angels are. But there's another aspect in just a minute. But he says, regarding the angels, he says, he sends his angels like the winds, his servants like flames of fire. And again, if you have those footnotes or other places, you'll see that he is referring to Psalm 104, verse 4. Look it up. This is the winds are your messengers, flames of fire are your servants. Now you're gonna look at that and you're gonna say, um, kind of the same idea, but they're not exactly the same. And so that's that's the other reason that I chose this one. It rounds out his line of logic. Jesus is the Son, angels are messengers, therefore the Son is greater than the messengers, therefore Jesus is greater than angels. It rounds out his logic, but it also draws us to another aspect that's important for us to understand as we're reading Hebrews and trying to prepare for the whole series in Hebrews. And that's that during the time that Hebrews were written, many of the Jewish people read the Old Testament in a Greek translation of the Hebrew scripture. So rather than reading it in Hebrew, they were reading it in Greek. That was their own native tongue at that point. It's the one they knew best, and that's what they read. And while the content was essentially the same, the wording was slightly different. And so sometimes when we now have it translated all into English, the wording gets jumped around in an interesting way, and we might not make these immediate connections. But fortunately, again, we have people who have made the connections, who know what the Hebrew says and what the Greek says, and then have how that gets translated into English. And so you get a footnote in the New Living Translation that says for that psalm passage, it says, He sends his angels like the winds, his servants like the flames of fire, is the translation of the Greek version. And if you notice, that's then the same as what the author of Hebrews quotes. A very imperfect example of this sometimes comes up on Tuesday mornings at the Men's Bible Study when you get two guys who are uh, talking together, and they're they're discussing a concept, and they're talking back and forth, and after listening in for a little while, you begin to realize that one person grew up in a situation where they knew the King James Version, and so the way they talk and the way they make the phrases... It's all that. And then the other person maybe grew up knowing the NIV and the way they talk and the phrases. And sometimes even connections they make between different places in Bible are influenced by the version they grew up. Basic content, not, not different, but just you can listen in and you can say, oh, I, I, I know what he read when he was a little kid or when he was memorizing at his church or, or vice versa. So there's a little bit of this going on. We can tell what the author of Hebrews was reading And in this particular case, he was reading Greek, even though he was talking about the Old Testament. At this point, probably most of you are about ready to fall asleep. I am not going to go through every single verse in our passage for this morning and talk about where it came from in the Old Testament and what's going on, because the point that the author is trying to make is that Jesus is greater than the angels, and I think we get that. You don't need me to convince you of that. But I wanted to show how he uses the Old Testament to support his point and to show that this is true, because that's one of the things that is important for us to remember out of this. As we are trying to talk about ideas and think about them, we should be turning to Scripture as the foundation of truth. So in in his case, he's trying to say, Jesus is greater than the angels. And I want to go back and I want to look at what Scripture says. Scripture establishes the idea of a Messiah, a promised anointing, anointed one, the Son of God. And Jesus is that one. But angels, that's not who they are. They are servants of God. So Jesus is greater than the angels. And he closes with verse 14, in which he says, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? So the idea that he's trying to make is that Jesus, the Son, is greater than the angels. That I think we get, but it's important for us to understand if we're trying to follow his logic and as we're trying to prepare for where he's going next. The other thing that I want you to to learn and think about is that the author turns to the Old Testament to support his ideas. This is this is how he buttresses his arguments. And that is something that we should learn as we are trying to do this as well. So the Hebrews, it was written to, near as we can tell, it was written to Christians who came out of a Jewish background. And as such, there were times when they were tempted to turn away from Jesus back into what they came from, back into their other traditions, their other mindsets, their other practices. And the author seems to be trying to say, no, Don't do that. Keep your eyes on Jesus because he is the center. He is greater than anything that came out of the Jewish background there. Now, for us, none of us have that exact same situation. We're not hit with that same kind of temptation. You're not tempted to be drawn back to the Jewish backgrounds you came from. But every one of us, in some capacity or another, is hit with some kind of a temptation to turn, turn towards something other than Jesus. I don't, maybe it's family for some of you. That can become the center of your life. And, and you're going to say, well, wait a minute, but family's not bad, but that's kind of the point. There's nothing wrong with angels. Angels were servants of God. Angels were working in the Old Testament. Angels are, are fabulous. I, I don't have any criticism, and the author of Hebrews didn't either. But when they become the center of your mind then you're missing who God has actually placed as the center, which is Jesus. So for you, maybe, maybe your family has become the center of your life and the center of your world. And it's not that your family is bad, but it's that Jesus deserves that spot as the highest, the greatest, the center. Or maybe it's political power. I've heard two stories recently of politicians who suddenly were, were realizing that something was pulling on them and Jesus was no longer the center and they were turning back. Or maybe it's work or career. A lot of people find the identity, their own identity, and what they do. Sometimes it's a an illustrious career and sometimes it's not, but it still can grab and become the source of our identity. And I think the author of Hebrews would try to say, no, Jesus should be the center. Maybe it's wealth or a hobby. Sometimes it's relationships. People can start dating somebody, and, and, and then soon that person is the whole center of their world. And no, it should be Jesus who is the center of your world. So I don't know what it might be for you. It might be something I haven't even mentioned, but we are often like the people that the author is writing to. We are tempted to put something else as the center, something that begins to consume our focus And the the root idea is that Jesus is greater than all of that. Those things may not be bad, but if they become the center, that's bad. And while we wrestle with these ideas, is while we're trying to teach and to learn and correct and and discern and and follow and and help one another, we turn to Scripture in that way. So we should know Scripture well enough that a couple lines immediately brings context to to our minds, but we should also be turning to Scripture for truth. I think we know this as well. You don't need me to convince you of it, but perhaps to remind us to continue to study and to learn and to keep that as our source of truth. So Jesus is greater, and keep your focus on him.
0: You have been listening to the Tressler Mennonite Sermon from October 30th, 2022. The passage was Hebrews 1, 5-14. Take care.